Amen. Can you imagine being up in heaven and singing that with about a billion Christians? Woo. Probably hear you on Jupiter. <laughs> That'd be pretty awesome. Amen. Glad to be here tonight. Glad you came. How about 1 Samuel? 1 Samuel chapter 23. 1 Samuel chapter 23. And when you find your spot, stand, read a little bit. 1 Samuel chapter 23. All right, we'll begin reading here in verse number 1. The Bible says, Then they told David, saying, Behold, the Philistines fight against Keilah, and they rob the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and smite these Philistines? And the Lord said unto David, Go and smite the Philistines, and save Keilah. And David's men said unto him, Behold, we be afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we come to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord yet again, and the Lord answered him and said, Arise, Go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into thine hand. So David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their cattle and smote them with the great slaughter. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. I think reading that passage there, you notice how David was so careful about not getting in a fight with his brethren and not getting in a fight with Saul. I can't prove it, but I'm thinking that David's a little bit frustrated Frustrated in the cave, you know, learning to trust the Lord, and he's frustrated. And then, uh, then where they're at, and then they go into the land of Judah. And, and I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm just guessing David was itching for a fight. And when this thing came along, he's like, come on, Lord, let me get him. <laughs> maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong. The Bible says in verse 6, And it came to pass, when Abiathar the son of Ahimelech fled to David to Keilah, that he came down with an ephod in his hand. And it was told Saul that David was come to Keilah, and Saul said, God hath delivered him into mine hand, for he is shut in by entering into a town that hath gates and bars. And Saul called all the people together to war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. And David knew that Saul secretly practiced mischief against him, and he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring hither the ephod. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Now, Father, we come before you, and I plead the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, middle of the week, Lord, no doubt we're tired. But, Lord, we come here, and, Father, we need to hear from you. And Father, I pray that you bless your word. And, Father, I pray, pray that you would feed the flock of God that's here tonight. Father, I'm thankful that they came. And, Father, I pray that you would empower me to do a spiritual job that I can't do without your help. Father, I pray that you get me out of the way, help my flesh not to rise up. Father, I pray that you control me and fill me with the power of the Spirit of God and your people as well, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. Now, if you look back to verse number 6, the Bible says, And it came to pass, when Abiathar the son of Ahimelech fled to David to Keilah, that he came down with an ephod in his hand. And then you see that thing pop up again, verse 9. And David knew, verse 9, that Saul secretly practiced mischief against him. And he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring hither the ephod. Now the interesting thing here is that ephod's mentioned a couple times. 
And you may or may not remember we preached through the book of Exodus back in Exodus chapter 28. That ephod was a priestly garment. And that priestly garment, the ephod, was essential to the right type of communication with the Lord. And in the Christian life, I say this one thing that is essential in the Christian life is our communication with the Lord. I'm taking some time to pray. Now, I'm not talking about the posture of prayer or the prerequisite to prayer or a certain period of time that you have to spend in prayer and then circle back and say, if you don't do it like I do it, then you must not be spiritual. What I'm simply saying is I want to try to draw attention in the passage to the fact that David here sees the necessity and the usefulness of the ephod. And now David is using that ephod, and at the same time, David is learning to trust the Lord more and more. He's learning to stop his running. Amen? He's learning now to listen to the preaching. And I see in this chapter, David learned to spend some personal time if you'd give me the liberty to say it like this, in prayer. Uh, and, and that's in type, is accessing the ephod on multiple occasions. So I'd like to preach a message if I can tonight. And it's entitled, It's Time to Go Get Your Ephod. It's time to go get your ephod. And of course, you know, we're, we said it earlier, 12 days before Christmas. <laughs> I mean, it's coming on like a rain that won't end. And it's kind of like this little lull. This is kind of like this calm before the, the, the nut houses and the gingerbread houses and all the, you know, <laughs> all the crazy starts. And once it starts, it is a blur right to the finish line. You say, what's the finish line? I don't know. I guess when you pay off your credit cards or, you know, or hopefully Jan 1st, it's just, you know, and you get back on the scale or on the bandwagon or whatever it is. And uh, I'm saying the days are upon us. It's going to get busier and busier. And you're going to have to learn as a Christian, if I could say it in type, especially during this period of time, but most of all in your life, just go get that ephod more and more. That's the type and picture of you spending time in prayer. And then, of course, be sure, like David's doing here in the passage, he's inquiring more and more of the Lord, even on the smaller things. And uh, so now when it comes to getting a hold of your ephod here, because that's what I'm going to try to preach and try to help it make some sense and not be so uh, disjointed, but when it comes to going and getting your ephod, let me say this, number one, you can't let all the particulars get in the way. You can't let all the particulars get in the way. In verse 1, notice it says, Then they told David, saying, Behold, the Philistines fight against Keilah, and they rob the threshing floors. So uh, what happens in verse 1 is David receives some intel, doesn't he? And that intel is information. And that's all the particulars, right? And I'm telling you what, in the Christian life, uh, you receive certain info and intel and all the particulars at certain times, and uh, you don't always do the right thing with it. I don't. Maybe you do. Maybe you should write a book about it. I'll buy it. Amen. But I'm just, I'm just trying to... Throw this out here in verse 1. You, ha you cannot let all the particulars get in the way of you going and getting your ephod. So I see David here. He, is, he, is, uh, he receives the intel in verse 1. And you know what it does? It leads to his inquiring of the Lord in verse 2. He gets the intel. It leads to his inquiring of the Lord in verse 2. And notice, we said this in the intro, but he's no longer 
planning like he did in chapter 20. Now, I'm not saying he's careless. I'm just saying in, verse, in chapter 20, you see Jonathan and David lay out this elaborate plan, and they're covering A plus B plus C equals D, X squared, and carry the four and all that stuff. But David's no longer going into the long planning business. He's learning more and more to trust the Lord. Notice he's not only not trying to get everything planned out, he's not running like he did in chapters 18 to 21. I'm trying to draw your attention to the fact that David, when he gets the information, he's kind of switching gears a little bit here. And he's not doing what he always has done. And you know what? Um, most of us, we just always do what we've always done. Why? We're creatures of habit. We, for the most part, sit in the same spot. We park in the same place. Or maybe you don't even care where you park. It's okay. We've got plenty of room. Amen. Got plenty of room. You could sit there, you can sit here, you can sit on your head in the back, it don't matter, you can stand uh, wherever you want, but I'm just saying, you can't let the particulars, you can't let all the information, in the New Testament, it was the press that kept people from Jesus, that's what the Bible says, the press is what keeps people uh, from the Lord, and in, uh, in the Christian life, it's the particulars, all the information that keeps us wound up, and uh, David takes the information in verse 1, and he goes inquires of the Lord in verse 2. And he's no longer planning. He's no longer running. And I just thought about the song. And we sing it every once in a while. It's, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to Facebook without prayer. I mean, that's not how that goes. But you see what I mean? You can't let the particulars, especially during this time of the year, uh, jam you up. You'll get jammed up. And you got to go get that ephah, but you can't let the particulars get in the way. That hymn says, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. I'm just saying tonight, it's probably a good time to go get the ephod. Amen. Well, not only that, you can't let the particulars get in the way of getting your ephod. I notice this, you can't let your passions get in the way. Just you got to be careful. You can't let your passions get in the way of you getting your ephod. Look at verse 2. The Bible says, Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and smite these Philistines? And the Lord said unto David, Go and smite the Philistines and save Keilah. Green light says go. Amen? I mean, if I mean, I just think of that whole, like, can I go whoop them? The Lord's like, yeah, go whoop them. Amen? That's pretty exciting. But you know what prayer does? Prayer reveals your passions in verse number 2. You know what David's passion was? He was a fighter. I don't understand people that don't want to fight the battle. I'm not getting on people. I'm just saying I can relate with David. David wanted to go fight the Lord's battles. He didn't want to fight the brethren. He stayed away from fighting the brethren. He even stayed away from arguing the brethren. But David was a fighter. He says in Psalm 144, 1, Blessed be the Lord my strength, which teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight. You know what David's saying? Lord, thank you. It's pretty cool. Man. You, you, you let these hands learn to put something on somebody that Ajax won't take off. Amen? And he's like, thank you. Blessed be the Lord which teacheth my fingers to fight. David was a fighter, and that was his passion. And when you take time and you go get the ephod, that's what we're preaching about, and you take time to pray, you know what's going to come out in your prayers? Your passions. And the Holy Spirit's going to deal with you on your passions. Now, it's not wrong to fight. You just got to make sure it's the right time to fight and the right fight to be fighting. Amen? You got to learn to fight the good fight and stay out of all this uh, piddly stuff. 
I notice this, it reveals your passions. David's passions, he was a fighter, and he wanted to fight the Lord's battles. You ever stop and think about those imprecatory psalms over there in Psalm 139? Psalm 139, 21 and 22. This is David. This is a man after God's own heart. These are hard to understand, and you can compartmentalize them, and you can explain them away, but at the end of the day, I understand it's the kingdom of heaven. I understand it's a different time. It's a different dispensation, but at the end of the day, David meant what he said when he said this, Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? And am, I, am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. The enemies of God were the enemies of David. And I'm telling you, when you pray, pray will reveal your passions. But notice this in verse 2. Prayer reveals your preferences or your proclivities. It reveals your preferences. Now notice this. His preference was to what? The end of verse 2. Save Keilah. That's what he wanted to do. You know what David desired? David desired to protect his brethren. That's a pretty good fellow. Why? Well, when you read through these passages, there's a bunch of his brethren that don't feel the same way about him. That's a difficult place to be in. And yet he still wants to protect them. He still wants to go fight the Lord's battle. He still wants to go and whip the Lord's enemy. And he still wants to go and save Keilah. That's his preferences. That's his desires to protect his brethren. Well, let's move on. We're talking about going and getting that ephod. And you can't let your passions, you can't let the particulars get in the way. And how about this one? Number three, you can't let possibilities. Or how about you can't even let paranoia get in the way. You got to be careful about that. You, if you're not careful as a Christian, you'll let what could happen keep you from your prayer life. You say, well, preacher, uh, my prayer life isn't much to talk about. Well, Talk to the Lord about it. Amen. But you can't let the possibility of what might happen or even paranoia of what may happen get in the way of your ephod. Look at verse 3. And David's men said unto him, and I can understand where they're coming from here. David's men said unto him, Behold, we be afraid here in Judah. You get what they're saying? These 600 men like, dude, don't you get it? They're after us. Our own people are after us, and we're afraid in Judah. And look what he says at the end of verse 3 here. He says this, how much more than if we come to Keilah against the armies of the Philistine? You see, David is a man after God's own heart, but God has given him the ability to compartmentalize the battle with his brethren and set it aside and still go after God. What I'm trying to say is you have to learn to do that in the Christian life. You have to learn to take care of the battle on this side and yet still go after what God wants you to do. That can be a difficult thing. Now notice that while prayer, in verse 2, it gives a man the command to go. You see what the Lord told David? Go and smite the Philistine and save Keilah. Notice it's prevailing prayer, continuing prayer, in verse number 4 that gives a man the confidence to go. You see, the first one was the command. The second time he went and inquired of the Lord was where he got the confidence. See, it's much, much more than just a one and done, amen, and get in the ephod and get in the hold of the Lord. Sometimes you have to learn just to go back and pray about that thing again. Why? David is a leader of men, and you might be a leader of your family. You might be a leader wherever you are, your work, whatever, and you have to learn that you might get the green light to do something, but then you get a little bit of some men that are afraid 
And you have to go back to the Lord and get the confidence on that thing. You got the command in verse 2. You got the confidence in verse 4. But it doesn't stop there. When you take the time to pray and you go get that ephod, look at verse 5. Then you see when you do what you're supposed to do, then you get the compensation and credit for going. You see it? David and his men, the Bible says, so David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their cattle. There it is. And smote them with a great slaughter. What a blessing. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. The command was go and smite in verse 2. The confidence was given when David inquired the second time in verse 4. The compensation was they won and they got the cattle. I mean, who doesn't like a good steak after a workout, amen? I bet you them men, they took the swords and they swung them around and hacked arms and legs and heads off and all that. And they were famished. They, hey, look, we got, all this, we got all this beef. Let's get a self a fire going and maybe get you some Wagyu steak or something. But that was the compensation. But notice the credit. The credit. The credit was the scripture saying that David saved Keil in verse 5 when it was the Lord in verse 4 delivering the Philistines into their hand. You see that? Now that's just like the Lord, isn't it? See, when you do what God tells you to do and God says you need to take time and you should continue in prayer and you should be instant in prayer and you, should, uh, you shouldn't let the hands hang down and the knees get weak over there in Hebrews, right? And you should always pray and not faint. But when you do what God says and you get the ephod, you spend time in prayer, you get the command, the confidence, and then he rewards you. And then he gives you a little bit of credibility. That's something we're not very good at. We don't give each other credit. But God's sure good at giving you credit. And yeah, we know it was God who delivered uh, the Philistines into David's hands. But you see, the Bible says that David saved Keilah. But you and I know better. He used David, but David got the credit for it. What I'm saying is you can't let possibilities or even paranoia get in the way of your ephod. I'm reminded of the verse in James chapter 5, verse 16. The Bible says, The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, this passage, David went first. Most of us, if we, oh, I got an answer to prayer, man, you'd go from here to the moon with it. But even after David got the answer to his prayer, he just went back and said, are you sure, Lord? I don't know about you, but sometimes when you pray, you got to be careful about the motives of your heart. Because the Bible says over there, book of Ezekiel chapter 9, that what the Lord's going to do is he's going to answer a man according to the multitude of idols that he set up in his own heart. And a lot of times, you and I, we want to do things so we approach the Lord with the desire to do something. And if we're not careful, we're not continuous with the ephod and staying after it in prayer and making sure if we don't try the spirits, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, we'll go ahead and go without the confidence. And I'm just saying sometimes you've got to make sure. You've got to make sure. You've got to take your time and make sure you've not just got the command, but you have the confidence because the Lord gave it to you. And then it'll work out how the Lord says it. You can't let possibilities or even paranoia get in the way of your ephod. Let me give you this one, number four. You can't let perilous times get in the way of the ephod. You can't. Look at verse 7. Perilous times. The Bible says, And it was told Saul that David was come to Keilah, and Saul said, God hath delivered him into my hand. That fellow's on crack, I'm telling you right now. If they were growing it or processing it, he was snorting it. Or smoking it. And Saul said, God had delivered him into mine hand, for he is shut in by entering into a town that hath gates and bars. I see here just this, these few verses here. A perilous time, uh, you know what it does? It reveals bad men. 
Perilous time reveals bad men. You know, the more we get closer to getting out of here, more and more bad men are revealed. Bad men. And I know the Bible says all flesh is grass, and you ought to trust the Lord. It's better to trust in the Lord, but confidence in men. Amen. Better to trust the Lord, put confidence in princes and all that stuff. But the more we get going down the road, the more bad men keep popping up left and right. You see what I mean? And I don't even, I'm not one of those individuals that take much time at all and care about the news, so forth and so on. You say, well, you're ignorant, you're uninformed. Praise the Lord. I just want to know that I've been with the Lord. But the more we get going down the road, perilous times are revealed bad men. And Saul was a bad man. He was a bad man. Bible says, verse 9, and David knew. David knew that Saul secretly practiced mischief against him. Uh, there in verse 9, you know why he knew? Because he had the ephod. And he was taking time to have communication with the Lord. And he was doing exactly what God said in order to get a hold of him. You see that he had a biathar, the priest there, and that ephod was connected to the breastplate, uh, so forth and so on, kind of like a belt there, and the judgment thing there. And uh, he was getting a hold of God is what he's doing. And that's how he knew. But perilous time reveals bad men. You know what Paul said in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty six, 26? He had perils by the heathen. He had, now listen, Christian, you might have some perils by the heathen. Generally, what we find out is, you know who our trouble is with? This is a real easy one to figure out. Our trouble is usually with other Christians. You want to know why? Because you don't hang out with lost people. You spend all your time with church people and Christians, which you should, and then someone stubs on, uh, steps on your toe or kicks your shins or you know, pulls on your nose, and you're like, oh, I can't deal with it. <laughs> but, but what happens is Paul even dealt with perils, uh, perils among heathen, the Bible says. And, of course, in the last day, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, the Bible says, For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Bad men in the last days. And Saul's a bad man. Saul's full of himself. He loves himself. And he's secretly practicing mischief. Well, you know what I notice here in verse 12? Perilous time, it reveals betrayal by the brethren. Betrayal by the brethren. Man, this thing is clear as the German nose of my face. Look at verse 12. The Bible says, Then said David, Will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They sure are. <laughs> he said, They will deliver thee up. Are you thinking what just happened here? David and his 600 men, he gets the command to go. He gets the confidence to go. They whip the daylights. They have a great slaughter with the Philistines and you know, all the king's horses and all the king's men. David, right? And all that stuff there, and it's the war party and all. I'm making this stuff up. You know what I'm saying? And you know they're hooting and hollering and excited. And guess what? That city's ready to turn David over to Saul. And he just saved their neck. I'm telling you, you can't let perilous times keep you from going and getting your ephod. David knew that there was a chance or a possibility that he could go there and that stuff would happen. Because as soon as that, you know, as soon as that battle, that war broke out and they exposed themselves to the enemy, they're also exposing themselves to all their little secret cell phone system back in the day and tell this kid and he runs and jumps on a camel and goes, you know, I mean, they can tell each other like now. But that whole city's ready to betray him. Or at least the leadership is. I wonder how David felt. I know how David felt, and I'm not a warrior. You ever been betrayed? You ever been betrayed by the brethren? You sit there and sing the songs of Zion, 
You serve the Lord together. Amen. You have spiritual conversations. You share spiritual things together and this, that, and the other. The next thing you know, they betray you. They betray you. They said, there's this wrong with you and that wrong with you. And they never told you. You ever been betrayed before? Next thing you know, they don't like you. That's betrayal. That thing about betrayal, that's last days. Truce breakers. Boy, you live in a day and age where you're going to see betrayal by the brethren. It's right here, right here in 1 Samuel chapter 11, uh, 23. That whole city was saved. If David wouldn't have come, they'd all been dead. And David said, well, let me go get them. Or let me kill them suckers. And he said, go do it. And they win. And sure as, uh, sure as Saul's army comes and all the king's horses of his army and all the king's men, and they surround the city, and they're going to destroy the city. And he asked the Lord, are they going to deliver me up? And the Lord's like, they're going to deliver you up. Now, this is where all the Calvinists, they drop dead with a heart attack, and they won't even approach this because the Calvinist talks about eternal decrees. So the, David asked the Lord, are they going to deliver me up? And the Lord looks in his foreknowledge and says, if you stay there, they sure are. And he's like, well, I'm going to have to frustrate Calvin for a minute, and they get out of there, amen? <laughs> the Calvinists don't know what to do with that. But you cannot let perilous times get in the way of you getting your ephod. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, Paul says, In perils by mine own countrymen. Listen, Christian, you're going to have some perils by your own countrymen. Not only that, in perils among false brethren. You're going to sit in the pews with people that say they love the Lord, and they're going to hate your guts on Monday. That's the day and age we live in. The days are gone, they have passed, where people could sit down and have a conversation and disagree with one another and still shake hands. Now it's like, if I don't like you, if, if, if you, uh, you trip my trigger, I will not tell you, but I will tell Facebook and I will tell everybody else because I'm fierce and I love myself and I'm not going to do anything I should, I'm not going to follow Proverbs and I'm not going to go talk to that person like I should. That's betrayal. Now, I believe the Lord knows a thing or two about betrayal. Would you agree tonight? Now, no treachery is worse than betrayal by a family member, a friend, or a brother and sister in Christ. However, Julius Caesar knew such treachery. Amongst the conspirators who assembled the Roman, or assassinated the Roman leader there on the Ides of March, March 15th, 44 B.C., was Marcus Junius Brutus. Caesar is not only uh, trusted Brutus, he uh, favored him as a son. And according to the Roman historians, uh, Caesar first resisted the onslaught. Caesar was a master warrior. I personally believe, through studying the history of Julius Caesar, that if he wanted to, he could have took them all out. But for whatever reason, when he saw Brutus approach, he stopped resisting. And when he saw Brutus among them with his dagger drawn, Caesar stopped struggling, and the historians say that Julius Caesar pulled the top part of his robe over his face and asked the famous question as he died, You too, Brutus? You too? Betrayal. You know what? You can't let perilous times get in the way of your ephod. And David didn't. He went after the, he went after the Lord. He got after that ephod. He inquired of the Lord, not once, not twice. He kept doing it. Now notice this here is to give you number five. You can't let persistent problems get in the way. 
Uh, you see that in verse 13. The Bible says, Then David and his men, which were about 600, arose and departed out of Keilah, and went whithersoever they could go. And it was told Saul that David was escaped from Keilah, and he forbear to go forth. Listen, like David, the problems that you and I have, they're here to stay. A lot of them are. Now you stop and think about David's problem. It started back in 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 9 after David killed Goliath and David is now in the presence of Saul and the ladies are singing that Saul hath slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Verse 9 says, And Saul eyed David from that day forward. And that's when the trouble began. How dare they give him credit for more than me. Well, that's King Saul syndrome. What's wrong, buddy? <laughs> and from that day forward, David has that trouble until 1 Samuel chapter 31, verse 6, where he dies in battle. And I'm just saying it's a persistent problem. And you and I have persistent problems. And you have problems that you're going to deal with for months. You'll have some problems you'll deal with for years. And can I say this? You'll have problems that you'll deal with for your entire lifetime. And you cannot let those persistent problems keep you from going and getting your ephod and talking to the Lord. You can't do it. Notice this here. Like David, our persistent problems have all too of a familiar setting. Now notice the setting of these problems in verse 14. The way is a place of the wilderness. It's a place of wilderness. Bible says in verse 14, And David abode in the wilderness. What's a wilderness? Dry, weary, not much scenery. I mean, just the word itself, wilderness, the first part is wild, unkept, uncut, unpruned. A lot of your problems are just wild, aren't they? It's a wilderness place. Not only that, in verse 14, we often forget this. God put his people in the wilderness to prove them. And that wilderness, as wild as an uncut and unkept, that he used to prove his own people. And here in verse 14, it becomes a place of strength. You say, how so? The Bible says that David stayed in strongholds. You see it? You know, sometimes the best thing you can do is unplug from this electronic world and just go hang out in the wilderness for a while and get along with the Lord. Nothing around, no friends, no family. You ain't got no finance. You ain't got to worry about that. Amen. Just get along with the Lord. Say, why? It's a stronghold. You know, when you uh, are uh, dealing with your persistent problems, you're going to have to learn to take those strongholds when they come. They don't always come. But notice this. It's a place of, uh, it's a, it's a place of strength. He's in uh, strongholds. But not only that, in verse 14, it's a place of protection. You see that in verse 14. And Saul sought him every day, but God delivered him not into his hand. You see how God's protecting David? It's not a comfortable ride. It's not, the, the scenery's not the greatest. The one part of the first part of the verse says he's in the wilderness. The second part of the verse says he's in the mountain. You see that? He's in a mountain in the wilderness. If you're looking at that thing, a little cold on the mountain. Air gets thin on the mountain. Food ain't the greatest unless you like goat. I guess they say goat's a delicacy, but I don't want no goat. You're eating roots and berries and stuff like that, and eating bark, whatever you're trying to do to eat, uh, survive there. But notice this here. It's a place of protection in verse 14. God delivered him not into his hands. 
Now I want you to notice in verse 16, it leads, it leads, remember now, it leads to a place of power. In verse 16, lo and behold, the Bible says, And Jonathan Saul's son arose and went to David into the wood and strengthened his hand in God. I want you to see this. When you take time and you go get the ephod and you spend it with the Lord, it produces power. Not only protection, but power. And that's what you and I need. What you and I need right now is protection from this world, protection from our own flesh, protection from those that are trying to get us to stop serving the Lord, and we need to get a hold of the power of God. And guess where it's found? It's found in a place that you and I don't want to be. The power is found in a mountain in the wilderness. And you know how David gets the power? He gets the power by sitting still. That's the most difficult thing in the Christian life is to sit still in a place that you don't want to be. And I'm telling you what, in my younger years, every time I found a problem, I had to bolt, had to run, had to do something, had to try to fix it, had to go. Hey, oh, I got to get out of here. Oh, it's too much heat, too much pressure. Pow, pows, spitting out the window here and going here and changing this and changing that. And the Lord's like, stop. You got to stay put. Notice this verse here. It's a place of power. The Bible says in verse 16, And Jonathan saw the son arose and went to David into the wood and strengthened his hand in God. But notice, the place of power comes by staying where God wants you to be. In verse 14, the Bible says, First of all, And David abode in the wilderness in strongholds, and here it is, I want you to get a hold of it, remained in a mountain. You see that? You say, yeah, so what? That's a big deal. When you got king breathing down your back and 3,000 men of the mightiest warriors and all that pressure and you're still willing to go fight the Lord's battles and still live for him, amen, and go, willing to do it while you're weak, willing to do it while you're frustrated and you stay put where God wants you, he'll protect you and he will give you the power that you need to do it. The place of power comes by staying where God wants you to be too many times we don't want to stay in that place long enough to get the power. Too many times we get weary of the wilderness. We forget we're on the mountain. Air's thin. It's cold. It's lonely. Amen. You ever been lonely in your Christian life? Wanted to talk to somebody? They're always busy. You get to thinking after a while it's personal. It's not personal. The Lord's trying to get you to remain in the wilderness on the mountain. He's trying to feed you because he's protecting you there. You go down into the valley where everything's lush and plush and green, the protection's off. The power's out of reach. Too many times we don't stay in the place God wants us long enough to get the power and we get weary. Notice this in verse 18. You know where David's place is? David's place is in the woods. You know where Jonathan's place is? Back at the house. There's a very comforting feeling about being back at the house. And if you let God work in your life, he's going to take you out of your house and he's going to put you in the woods. And he's going to put you in that wilderness and he's going to put you on that mountain and he's going to tell you to sit still. And you're going to want to run. And you're going to want to get out of it. And you're going to want to fight it. 
and you're going to want to give every excuse in the world why you don't need to be in the wilderness because that's where everybody else needs to be and you'd rather be back at the house. But notice, Jonathan shows up there and that's a picture of the Holy Spirit filling the child of God, filling a believer with power. Jonathan goes back to the father's house and David goes back to where he needs to be. The wood. You say, what's this all about? Well, probably just time to go get the ephod. And many times, I have not wanted to be where God wanted me to be. I tried to help him out. Maybe you have too. Try to help him out with this and try to help him out with that. Well, you know, Lord, if I was doing this, if I was making a few more dollars an hour, I could probably do more for you. Lord, you know, if I was over here, maybe this would be a better thing for you. You knew and me to, I'd have more time to study, have more time to read my Bible. The Lord's like, just stay in the mountain, stay in the wilderness, and just about time you're ready to quit, just about time you're ready to come down, just about time you're ready to get off the mountain. Here comes Jonathan. And he strengthens your hand in God. Jonathan is a type and picture of the Holy Spirit of God filling the believer and giving him power to overcome difficult problems. He strengthened his hand in God. So time spent with the ephod, it produces power, but not only that, look at verse 26. It produces protection. It produces protection. Verse 26, the Bible says, And Saul went on this side of the mountain, and David and his men on that side of the mountain. <laughs> Pretty good gig, isn't it? You see it? Saul's on this side, David's on that side. That's pretty good. And David made haste to get away for fear of Saul, so he's still human. Saul and his men compassed David and his men round about them. I see protection from a couple things here. First of all, if you forgive my uh, analytical anxiety here, protection from political progenitors. You say, what in the fire is that? The Ziphites. The Ziphites, you find them over in Joshua chapter 15 around verse 24. That's the land of Judah. That's David's kin. You see that? It's political progenitors. And the Ziphites, they say, hey, Saul, we know where your boy's at. We know where our cousin's at. And I tell you what, our part will be to turn him over to you. You know what they are? They're political. They're trying to see what's in it for them. And God protects David from these, if you'll allow me, these political progenitors. Amen? That's just a bunch of politic and family members. Bible says there in verse 19, then came up the Ziphites. I don't know, just hearing the word Ziphite makes me want to fight. Amen? Ziphites to Saul to Gibeah saying, Doth not David hide himself with us in strongholds in the wood in the hill of Aquila, which is in the south of Jeshimon? Verse 20, now therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of thy soul to come down, and our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. And Saul said, Blessed be ye of the Lord, for ye have had compassion on me. Bunch of polit political pinheads is what they are. They thought there was something in it. Oh, we could get something for the town. We could get a new town bell. We could get, we could get a new waffle house built in Ziff. Probably have to sell turkey bacon though, amen? So protection from, you'll get that later. Protection from political, how about this one? Protection from the pursuing predators in verse 26. When you were where God wants you to be, 
you got a hold of that ephod, he gives you protection from the pursuing predators. Verse 26, and Saul went on, on this side of the mountain, David on his men on that side of the mountain, and David made haste to get away for fear of Saul, for Saul has been compassed, David has been around about him. The Lord's protect him for the pursuit. He's protecting from the predators. And finally, how about this protection by producing pain in the lives of David's pursuers? Notice this in verse 27, 28. But there came a messenger unto Saul, saying, Haste thee and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. Wherefore Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Now you see this chapter, and I don't know how many times you've read it, but you see the Lord always takes care of David. And can't you see David, he's... He's like, it's the refiner's fires on him. He's like in the vice and all this pressure. And you get to this part of the chapter and you're like, Lord, you planned that all that way, didn't you? And the Holy Spirit's like, he sure did. <laughs> and you know the Lord was going to take care of David. Just had to go get that ephod and spend some time talking to him. I mean, here it is, and you see he does what the Lord asks him to, and he protects him on this side of the mountain, they're on that side of the mountain. But at the very end, guess what? Saul and his men surround David, and it's like, it's over. The fat lady is going to sing. And the Lord's like, no, I got it. Hey, by the way, Philistines are in your back door, buddy. See you later. And they got to go. Isn't that a blessing? I'm telling you, you cannot let the persistent problems in your Christian life keep you from dealing and talking with the Lord. Because the Lord knows how much you can handle. He knows the pressure that you can stand. He knows the weight that you can handle. He knows when you're going to crack. He knows when you're going to break. And you've got to stay in the mountain. Protection by producing pain in the lives of David's pursuers. Often think about the things that David had to deal with, the persecution that David had to deal with. I'm drawing it to a close. We're about done. The trials and the troubles. And I'm sure some of us have been through some things, maybe not like David or Paul. But come across this poem, most of you probably know it. Amy Carmichael wrote it. It's called No Scar. She says, Hast thou no scar? No hidden scar on foot or side or hand. He says, I hear them hail the bright ascendant star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archers. Spend, uh, leaned against me. A tree to die and rent by a ravening beast that compassed me. I swooned. Hast thou no wound? No wound, no scar. Yet as the master shall the servant be. And pierced are the feet that follow me, but thine are whole. Can he have followed far who has no wounds or scars? You see, if you're going to serve the Lord, and if you're going to live for the Lord, he's going to develop you like David. And he's going to put you in places that are painful, but he's going to protect you. And all he's trying to teach us is to go get that ephod and just go talk to him. He's got it planned out. As David continues to trust the Lord, the Lord never lets David down. As I read this, I'm encouraged. The Lord provides for David. The Lord protects David. 
And David goes and gets a hold of the ephod in this chapter. It's in this chapter that he gets that ephod, and things start chick, uh, clicking for David a little different. And the Lord always comes through. So as we close today and the season is upon us, let's take the time, go get the ephod, and get a hold of the Lord no matter what the time is, what the task is, or what the trouble may be. Like David, you'll be glad you did. And as the chapter closes, I want you to look at verse 29. David moves up in his relationship with the Lord. Look at verse 29. It says, And David went up from thence and dwelt in strongholds at En Gedi. When you go up from where you're at, you gain spiritual strength. Verse 29 says he dwelt in strongholds. You see that? God's got a strong place for you to be. He's got a strong place. And when you go up from where you're at, you get two other things besides strength and protection. You get a large oasis, and you get a better disposition. You say, where did you pull that out? I just looked up what the word Engedi means. You say, what does the word Engedi means? A fountain of happiness. <laughs> that's a large oasis. I'm like, that's really an oasis. And, and the Lord's like, yeah, duh. Even if you had to look it up on Wikipedia, it's a large oasis. But it means a fountain of happiness. I bet you when the Lord delivered David and he saw all those king's horses and the king's men, 3,000, the Navy SEALs all trotting off to go take care of the Philistines that were knocking on I bet you old David was happy. He's like, let's get out of here, man. <laughs> what a blessing. I knew we could trust the Lord. I knew we could do it. I tell you, I, tell, I was wondering there for a minute. It was all over. They had us all surrounded, you know. And, you know, I'm you know, writing out my last will and testament here and making sure my life insurance is paid up. And all of a sudden, at the last minute, when you think it's all falling apart, the Lord sends them off. And they say, boy, I sure am happy. Whew, I sure could use a drink. Let's head up to Engedi. And never is there greater happiness as when you get the ephod and you wait upon the Lord. He delivers you yet again and you get to keep pressing on the upward way. May the Lord bless you and I this week as we spend time with him. And don't forget to go and get the ephod.